Brought to you by the Mary Christie Institute, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well-being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Institute. And I'm Dana Humphrey, the associate director of the Mary Christie Institute, and we're the hosts of the podcast. Most college students have been back at school now for a few weeks and are having a wide variety of return to campus experiences, given what they've gone through this past 18 months with the pandemic. While all of our students have undergone disruption and uncertainty, many are dealing with significant levels of trauma. Today's guest is Dr. David Henderson, the Chief of Psychiatry at Boston Medical Center. He is also a professor and chair of psychiatry at Boston University School of Medicine. Dr. Henderson has worked internationally for the past 25 years in resource-limited settings and areas impacted by mass violence, disasters, and complex emergencies. Places like Bosnia, Cambodia, Ethiopia, and Haiti, as well as New Orleans and New York City. Dr. Henderson, welcome to the Quadcast. Thank you very much. We're so excited you're here today. In fact, I should also mention that we are very fortunate to have Dr. Henderson as one of our board of directors. We've loved following your work, and we're excited to get started today. We definitely want to talk to you about your trauma work, particularly as it relates to the mental health of young people. But I'd like to start by asking you to describe your background. You have such an interesting story to tell. So I'm a psychiatrist. I trained in, in Boston at Mass General Hospital. When I finished my training, I took took two positions, one at Mass General, and the other one was at MIT. So I actually had 10 years of working at MIT in the student health service and and had the opportunity to explore mental health on a college campus. And then I also started to explore global work. And particularly, I wanted to learn how people are the same and how they're different, uh, depending on their culture, ethnicity, their country, and, and so on, as it relates to mental illness. And this actually helped me better take care of my patients in Boston from diverse backgrounds. And then eventually, I moved over here to Boston Medical Center about six years ago. And it really is a, a fantastic place, uh, a diverse population of people from all over the world. And But it also allows us to better understand how to care for people, particularly who are exposed to trauma, because that is one problem that runs through many of the populations that we serve here. You have worked around the world in very challenging environments, often dealing with people who have experienced significant trauma. And while the scale of the situation is certainly very different, I wanted to ask in your experiences, colleges and universities, should they be taking more of a trauma-informed approach to the care that they provide for students in the counseling centers, particularly for those students who have been significantly impacted by the pandemic and the racial injustices that accompanied it? I mean, this is a really important point right now, I would, I would think. Yeah, you raise a you know very important question, and I think for me the answer is absolutely. Many people experience trauma throughout their lives, and in certain populations, the risk of trauma exposure are, are greater. And, and as we've seen in this country, with police violence towards people of color, you know there are certain populations that will be exposed to trauma at a much higher rate than other populations. That being said these individuals do go to school. They go to universities. They are in, enrolled in, in you know, many uh, universities, many even the top universities. But what we see is that there's little attention to the impact of trauma exposure at these universities. And really a, a trauma-informed care that really starts with the, the notion that 
you know, accepting that many people may have trauma exposures and we should begin conversations with that to try to understand, you know, what have people gone through and how it's impacting them and then to work to try to help them and improve their outcome so that they can be successful in however they define um, success. And so, yes, it, I, I think that every university really should adopt a trauma-informed care approach to its student body, but also not just the students, but also the faculty and staff as well, because there is so much trauma exposure in this country and around the world, of course, that that impacts people for their whole lives. So practical question there, Dr. Henderson, is a trauma-informed approach to, let's say, college student mental health within the counseling centers, is that something that can be taught? Is it something that counselors can be trained on? Yes, yes. It's a, a trauma-informed approach can absolutely be taught. And, and it really is also, it's a culture change. You have to change the culture to shift towards this. But any university can, can do this for sure. So this sort of leads to the next question. And and as you well know, different student population groups have unique stressors that can impact their mental health differently, right? So international students, black students, uh, and or students who've experienced poverty have different impacts to their behavioral health, their sense of belonging, certainly on a college campus. So more broadly, you talked about a cultural change. Talk a little bit about what you think colleges and universities can do to pay more attention to the sort of unique identities that do, in fact, impact student mental health. Yeah, this is a a really great um, question. The first thing is to recognize that there's a, a diversity of experiences that individuals have. And, and certainly, as I pointed out, some populations may have a greater risk of uh, exposure to financial difficulties, exposure to food insecurity, exposure to outright violence, and, and so on, which also puts a, a tremendous amount of stress on them as they enter the university and they're trying to do their classes and so on. And so it's important for colleges and universities to have programs that are available for people to help. I think a critical piece to this is that the universities and colleges have to invest in a diverse clinical workforce. You want to be able to offer students people who look like them, that but can help them through their path and to deal with any challenges that, that, that they face. And so you really want a diverse workforce of of clinical individuals that are available to help the students. And and I think that's really critical. And now it's not that every student of color needs to see a clinician of color, but many do, and it would be very helpful if they actually do, because they start at a different place of understanding. And even though it may not be 100% correct, but there is a better opportunity for connection. So I think it's critical that universities and colleges really intentionally hire a diverse workforce that are available to to help students. We're hearing about that often in conversations that we have about student mental health and what the students are looking for sure. And it's become an even important issue right now, as you suggest. One of the things I think is a conundrum is building a pipeline, right, of mental health workers of color and also gender diversity, ethnic diversity. This is it's something I, I know people are grappling with. Given your experience at Boston Medical Center, which is, a, I agree, a wonderful place, you have done, oh, it's a great example, actually, of creating a more diverse staff there that serves 
what would be a more diverse population in the city of Boston. So any thoughts on how to increase that pipeline, Dr. Henderson? And, and, and if so, does higher ed, could they play a role in that in terms of creating a marketplace potentially, particularly those that have medical centers? I mean, I know it's a complicated question. I just wondered if you need thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think that the pipeline question always is relevant. I, I think that, first off, we're fortunate we're in Boston, where we have a number of um, institutions that are developing mental health professionals. So that's actually, we're fortunate. Many parts of the country, that is, of course, not the case. And, and there are shortages all over the country for mental health professionals. So that we recognize. But you have to, again, be intentional about developing a pipeline of clinicians that represent the individuals that they'll be caring for. And so you have to plan for it. You have to do, you know, programs and uh, to even uh, starting at the high school level and through college and then through graduate school and and, and so on. I, th- I think universities have to in- invest in these types of programs so that they, they really can develop and, and, tra- and train a diverse clinical workforce. But again, it, it comes with leadership and a strategic plan and recognizing that it'll take years for it to actually come to fruition, but it, it is quite possible. And then the second thing re- really also related to leadership, and I think it's why we've been successful here at, at Boston Medical Center and, and Boston University School of Medicine is because of leadership and leadership decision-making around in investment in a diverse clinical population. And in particular, I think that the hospital and the medical school have gone out of their way, but not only that, but they have really made it a, a part of their mission to not only diversify the people we train, the, the doctors and, and, and psychologists and, and social workers and, and so on, but also the leaders of departments so that it, we create a different environment so that people of color want to come and be a part of this. And so there, and then there are, you know, obviously have heavily sought out, but they want to be in an environment, an inclusive environment where many gender, race, ethnicity, all, all of those things are well represented. And it's a, an environment where people can talk freely and comfortably and share. And it uh, really, it's really important, but it really does start with leadership as well. That is such a great point and so instructive, I think, for higher ed, right? When you talk about leadership, you know, because it, it's not just about counseling staff, right? It's, it's about acknowledging and valuing difference. And that starts right from the top and creating environments for inclusion and belonging is important throughout, again, not just within the mental health field. So it's an, that's such an excellent point. One last question I had for you, again, talking about creating environments, has to do with something that we talk about a lot, which is supporting students in their college journeys who have significant mental health issues. And I know you've done extensive work with young people with schizophrenia and some other serious mental disorders. And you said something at the beginning of the interview, you know, these people end up going to college. And that is great because of some of the supports they might have received earlier in their lives. I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about, from your experience also at MIT, 
what do you think colleges and universities should be doing more of to encourage these people to come to school and to help them stay in school and complete their degrees? Yeah, this is a, another great question. I think I've had uh, d- different experiences based on the university, but but I can say that the you know, first thing is that many people who exp- young people who experience uh, mental health issues are more likely to make it to the universities and colleges now than like say 20 years ago. And so there's been a significant advance in people being treated and then ready to go off to the university. So that so that's fantastic, but what it also means that there there are many students who come to school already with a mental health issue that requires ongoing care. So that's that's something that we've witnessed over the last 20 years. And certainly I I saw, started to see this when I was at MIT. But I also think that what happens is that it, their success really is dependent upon the availability of services for them. And some universities are very good. They have in-house clinicians and, and so on. Other universities policy are that they may refer these students out to clinicians in the communities and so on. And, 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 and I, I think both can work, but they have to, have a safeguard to be able to catch students when you know they miss appointments and stop their treatment and, and that sort of stuff. I felt that the universities that have a, a large, a relatively large in-house clinical group that is available to take care of students, that, that offers, I, I think, the, the, the best opportunity to make sure that the, the students get what they need. But it is something that's absolutely critical and again, we're just seeing more and more of it. And really, every university needs to have a student health service that, that has a sizable mental health clinical component to it. I think it's it's absolutely critical. And I wonder if there could be some, some creative strategies there, too, uh, when you think about maybe partnerships with, as you said, I know some have partnerships within the community, but not all institutions, if they can't offer it in-house, might be able to create closer synergies maybe with outside institutions, do you think? Yeah, that would, that's a great idea. I think that, with, again, we, we need creative solutions so that students don't get lost. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a terrific conversation. Thank you so much for being on the quadcast. Thank you for all of your wisdom relative to all of the, the issues we talked about today, the trauma-informed care all the way through to how we can better support students with serious mental illness. So thank you, Dr. Henderson. Dr. Henderson, Chief of Psychiatry at Boston Medical Center, Chair of Psychiatry at Boston University School of Medicine. We are so grateful. Thank you. This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs like the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.